Welcome to Cal St. G Academy, the educational podcast of the Parish of Calvary St. George's. These podcasts are intended to inform and deepen your faith so that you can share your faith thoughtfully with the world around you. For more information about the parish, go to calvarystgeorges.org. And now, break out your moleskin prayer journal, and let's get started. The Year of the Bible is a series of Cal St. G Academy. Each episode will cover a new book of the Bible in a concise, in-depth, and ultimately edifying way. These lectures are recorded live each week at Calvary Church in New York City. Hi everyone, like Ben said, I'm Kristen Smith, and it is just a privilege to be here with you today. When Ben asked me about the forum, he said, so we need a sub for the book of Acts. And I just looked at him, because truly, the book of Acts of the New Testament text has to be one of my very favorites. Michael Green calls this book the 30 years that changed the world. Actually, if you were going to read any book to talk about the book of Acts, I would suggest that one. It sort of gives you a history of who Luke is, of the community, of all sorts of different things, but it does it in such kind and approachable language. So I would say the 30 years that changed the world, for sure. So much of what I'll share today, Michael Green shared there as well. He works at Wycliffe Hall, Oxford, so that's sort of who he is. I would say this. I love movies. I love them. I love a compelling story. And when I think about the book of Acts, it truly reads like a really good movie script. You know those movies that when they open, there's like a French horn background and the scene opens and you think, oh, this is going to be a good movie. That's how the book of Acts starts. If you think about the end of the book of Luke, it ends with Jesus ascend, like being just about ascending into heaven. And then Acts starts the same way with all of the disciples looking up, literally. And you know when you start reading Acts that it has already looked back to the end of Luke. Because all the disciples are staring into heaven. That's how it opens. Now, when you think of Acts just in terms of structure, there are four parts. There is the beginning of this movement, the catalyst. Then there is the ramp-up. Then there is this big amplification of it. And then you see the passion for it. And what I hope to do for us all today is just consider some questions for ourselves. Because when you read Acts, there's no way to not see yourself in the story. It's actually impossible. So, just some background first on Luke. Luke wasn't one of the twelve disciples. He also doesn't really say anything about himself. He is clearly consumed with the wonder of Christ. He's so excited about Jesus and this message and what Jesus came to do that he's a researcher in it. Now, you only see Luke mentioned three other times. And really, he is a traveler or a journeyer with Paul. In Acts, he uses the word we a couple of times, and so that's sort of our cue that Luke is there for it. But really, what he's doing is capturing something. This movement changed the world. I have to write about it. It's interesting because hmm, I'm trying to think of even the best way to start. 
It's interesting because this shouldn't have happened the way that it did. Here are 11 guys who start staring into heaven. They go back and wait. They have this encounter with the presence of God. And then, by the end of the book, this message that they take all the way gets to Rome. So it starts really, really small, and then it builds, and then it builds, and then it builds, and then it builds. It's like if I walked up to Avery and told her the best secret in the world. And then Avery looked at Chelsea and said, oh my gosh, I have to tell you this thing. And then Chelsea turned to Chris and said, oh my gosh, did you hear this news? Like, Avery just told me this thing, and I have to tell you. And then Chris's voice all of a sudden gets louder, and she looks at Ben, and she's like, so I heard from this table that this thing happened, and then this thing happened. That's what happens in the book I want to read to you just a couple of passages from it so you see this. So chapter 2, there is an experience, an encounter. And you, it's almost like a reversal of the Tower of Babel. You remember back in Genesis, the Tower of Babel, where all of the languages and peoples are divided, and then they're scattered. Well, in fact, everyone hears Peter's message in their own language, and they come all back together under the message of Christ, and 3,000 people become believers that day. And then people just start living it out. Living out this message, they respond to who Jesus is, and start living it. Well, Peter and John are walking to the temple to pray, and they meet this guy who can't walk. And they say to him, listen, we don't have any money, but in the name of Jesus, walk. He does. But he doesn't just stand up and walk. He goes walking and leaping and makes a massive scene. The Jewish leaders hate that, truly. And so they call Peter and John in before them. And they say, listen, you've you got to stop. You, you, you can't keep talking this way. And this is what Peter says back. Peter and John replied, this is in chapter 4 of Acts. Judge for yourselves whether it is right in God's sight to obey you rather than God. For we can't help speaking about what we've seen and heard. We, we can't help it. We have to do it. We're so excited about it that we have to speak about what we've seen and heard. They're compelled to something. Well, then you get to the next sort of movement. You get to chapter 6, and you see that this movement keeps growing. And they have, to, they have to bring in more people so that they can meet all of the needs of all of these new believers. And then Stephen is stoned. And then you get to chapter 9, where you meet this character. You meet Saul. And Saul is an interesting guy. We first meet him as a Pharisee who is out to persecute this new um, tribe of believers, and he's there when Stephen is stoned. But then, he's on the road and has an encounter with the risen Christ himself. And his name is changed to Paul. Now that's really important, because in the Bible, your name equals your identity. It just does. Everywhere. So anytime anybody's name is changed, then that's God doing something new in that person. And so that happens with Paul. And now Paul is compelled. The same person who was killing these followers is now compelled to share this vision because he has encountered Jesus himself. And so this movement starts to really ramp up. What's going to happen now? Again, it reads like a really good movie. Then you get to chapter 11. Now, I think in the book of Acts, chapter 11, people skip it sometimes. 
but it is one of the most compelling things because chapter 11, the message of Jesus gets to Antioch. And Antioch is the very first place where the name Christian is used, little Christ. The people that were living out this message were doing it in such a compelling way that they called them little Christs. They called them Christians in Antioch. What is it that they were doing? Well, we only get one little clue. Um, It says this in Acts 11. News of this reached the ears of the church at Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas. When he arrived, he saw the evidence of the grace of God. Whatever they were doing was showing them the grace of God. They were so filled with God that they had to call them Christians. I'm sort of stopped in my tracks every time I read that. Because I think about my own life and I think, do people see the grace of God so much in me that they would call, that they would use that word to describe me? Does the grace of God compel me enough to where someone would call me a Christian in response to it? It's a, it's a question that every time I get to Acts 11, I stop and consider myself. Well, then you see um, in chapter 10, right before that, Peter and Cornelius and this message getting taken to the Gentiles. And then you get to chapter 12. And I think that chapter 12 is really important for us as believers. Peter's in prison. Again, kind of. Um, It's one of those things where every time the disciples would continue to speak about the good news of Jesus, people hated it. And so Peter's in prison. There's this little verse. So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying. And what you start to see in chapter 12 is that when the church prays, things happen. And so again, I'm stopped in my tracks because I think the church, this gathering of believers who have responded to the gospel, pray. And Peter is released from prison in a pretty cool, this could be its own movie kind of way. Then, chapters 13 through 20 are sort of this movement. Now it's started, and now it has fully formed. 13 through 20, you sort of see it amplified. It's like putting stereo speakers on a movement, so that now more people can hear it. If you think of it in terms of Times Square, it's like it would start with one guy standing on the red steps and he's talking. And then, ten guys from that one guy. And then you're like, okay, maybe he has something to say. And so now the red steps are filled with people listening to this one guy talking, and they're talking too. Okay, so now something's happening in Times Square. 13 through 20 is kind of like broadcasting whatever's happening on the red steps everywhere. So what happens is Paul starts taking this message everywhere else, one place at a time. And people call this, scholars call this Paul's missionary journeys. And if you ever have the chance to travel to these places, I would encourage it, because the message of Christ is still so visible. I remember the first time I got to Ephesus. Ephesus is one of um, the best preserved ruins of the ancient world. And you get there and you walk in and on the marble, at the very front, there's a circle with lines in it. And if you have a good guide, they'll stop and explain to you that that's a Christian symbol. And that the Christians, to mark themselves, would use this circle because really it was the name of Christ in Greek all put together in a cool circle. You see that right when you get to Ephesus. What's going on? And then you see it kind of all over the Roman world. So 
Paul starts taking this message to this little city, and this little city, and this little city, and the movement keeps getting amplified and amplified. You see him in Athens in chapter 17. And in Athens, he's on Mars Hill. And at Mars Hill, there's the Arapagus. And what they do is they just sit around and talk about ideas all day, every day. Really not that much different than right now. It's like we have that on social media where people just chat about their opinions all the time. In Athens, they just did that on Mars Hill. And Paul shows up there, and he doesn't really engage in that conversation. You don't really see the Christians doing that. They're not arguing against other religions. Instead, is let me tell you about this God. You have a statue to this unknown God. Let me tell you who that is and who I worship. And he shares the message of Jesus to the Heropagus. But you also see in chapter 19 that Paul gets to Ephesus. Now, Ephesus, I talked about the ruins earlier, but why is it important? In chapter 19, um, Luke records this big riot <laughs> with Demetrius, the silversmith. And it's because of Ephesus itself. Ephesus is a large city in Asia Minor. It also has the Temple of Artemis. The Temple of Artemis is one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. It's massive, but it's also the bank. And Ephesus is the center of commerce and trade. So if anybody wants to go to the bank in this entire province, they have to go to Ephesus and first worship at the Temple of Artemis. That's how it works. Funny enough, the only thing left of the Temple of Artemis today is one pillar. Just one. But it was massive. So Paul shows up in this amphitheater in Ephesus. He starts preaching the good news of Jesus. And everyone responds so much so that there's a riot. Because he so has affected their economy by what he's saying that the silversmiths can't sell their little statues of Artemis, which they still do. In Ephesus, you can still buy little Artemis when you're outside. This movement makes it that far. It resonates so much that there's a riot. Then at the very end of Acts, you see the passion for a movement. And Paul, people start trying to arrest him. They start trying to really shut him up. And every way that they can do it, they send him back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. He gets to Felix finally in Caesarea. And in chapter 22... Right when they're about to flog and beat him, Paul says, Is that what you would do to a Roman citizen? And everyone is stopped because now we realize something else about Paul. He's not just a Pharisee, he's also a Roman citizen. And then, in this very dramatic way, Paul says, I appeal to Caesar. And that's the moment in the movie where it's like all the music stops. It's just really a mic drop moment. It's great. I appeal to Caesar. Everyone's taken aback, and they say to Paul, are you really a Roman citizen? And he goes, yeah. <laughs> so they send him, that, that's really it. And so they send him from Caesarea on a boat to Rome. And you think, oh, this is so cool. Paul's going to get to Rome. All of Rome's going to know Jesus. This is going to be great. And then he shipwrecks. And when I read that story, I sometimes also think about my own life. Because Paul is on his way with the message and the promise in Acts 1 of the message reaching the ends of the world is about to happen. And then the boat hits something. Like there's a storm. But he lands on Malta. Malta is a lovely, teeny place. 
visit it, it really, it's lovely, but it's like this big in terms of geography. It's a teeny tiny island. How do we get there? Sometimes in my own life when I feel like my mission and purpose have been shipwrecked, I think, God, we, like, I must have missed it entirely. That's not what happens to Paul. He shipwrecks, and he's like, well, we should rebuild the boat, but the presence of God is still here. So all these miraculous things start happening in Malta. Not as much because of the miracles themselves, but because of this message of the good news of Jesus that's just with him. So finally, he gets to Rome. And when he gets there, there's like a chapter and a half of Paul's sermon where he gets to share the good news of Jesus. And then, you get to the very last verse of Acts, which I think is my favorite. And I'm actually going to read it to you from two different versions on purpose. Um, In the NRV, it says this. Boldly and without hindrance, he preached the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ. Eugene Peterson, um, a favorite theologian of mine, when he created the message translation, he did it because he was a seminary professor, and he realized that his students in seminary were looking at the Bible as a textbook instead of a compelling story that moves us forward. And so he went home and started, he took out his grades and started translating. And so this is how he writes the last verse of Acts. He welcomed everyone who came to visit. He urgently presented all matters of the kingdom of God. He explained everything about Jesus Christ, and his door was always open. And then Acts ends. Now, if I was sitting in the movie, and this is how the movie ended, I would be mad. I love a good ending. I love a bow in a movie when it like wraps up so nicely. Like we have this cool story, and yeah, Paul's in Rome, but then it just stops. Paul was really kind, opened his own to everyone, he was really bold. Acts doesn't tell us what happens next. Why not? Now, as a, a biblical scholar, that's a question that lots of people have asked, but also as a person of faith, this is a question we have to ask. Why does Acts in this way? Before we can ask that, though, we have to ask a couple of other things. First, why did the gospel spread like it did that fast? There were a couple of factors. One, Pax Romana. What Rome did for the world, building roads, bringing water, helped the gospel spread at that point in history. There was Greek culture, so there was a common language. People are all speaking Greek. And then we have this Jewish faith, and because the Jews were scattered everywhere, there was already a foundation of God's work through the people of Israel all throughout the Roman world, so that when Paul did get to these cities, there was a context for them. So those three factors really did help it spread, but why does it end this way? And is there anything in it for us? I think so. And I think that Luke points this out in several different ways. First of all, in the book of Acts, Luke introduces us to 95 characters. We won't see 62 of them ever again. Ever. 95 people that are in this story, and we don't meet 62 of them ever again. Why are there so many people? I think it's important for us to know 
that the book of Acts is about a movement starting. Paul is a part of that movement. But it is so much about our response to the gospel and the work of Christ. And then how God can use us in our context to do that. Now, Paul was uniquely gifted as both Jew and Roman to be able to take this message all sorts of places. But I think Luke ends it the way he does to push us to the idea that the book of Acts ends like it does because the story's not done. It's just not. Okay, so the gospel gets to Rome. Now what? Now what do we do? When I get to the end of Acts, I think about my stoop in Brooklyn. That's what I do. And I think about my stoop in Brooklyn because I think, okay, God literally got Paul from Jerusalem to Rome by way of Athens, which is cool. But he also got me from a tiny town with seven stoplights to New York and to my stoop. And he got us all here together today. And the reason that Acts ends this way is because the story's not done. We're in it. We still have the same background music. And what I think Luke is compelling us to is to go walk out in the end credits of Acts and say, okay, now you go live the next part of this. When you see it, and I would, I would encourage you to do it, um, to just go read Acts and read it this way. Um, when I am reading it, what I like to do is use John Williams' movie scores, and I just put them on, and then I read Acts to the movie scores. Um, call me a free soldier. I don't know. It doesn't matter. That, that's what works for me. But I would encourage you to read it and let yourself get caught up in the story. Of why Acts? What is the work of God here today in this context, in this time? I don't think it looks like what it looked like there, because the reality is, is the gospel needed to get first in Jerusalem, then to Samaria, then to the end of the world, which we see in Acts. But I also know that we're somewhere in the distance. We're somewhere between Acts and the final work of Christ in Revelation. We're still living in this story. Um, Mike Epinelli, uh, he was the grandfather of youth ministry. Um, he is the guy, if you're familiar with the magazine Youth Specialties, I don't know if that's just those of us who work in that world, but um, he said this, and this, when I read the book of Acts, I am prompted to pray this prayer as well. He said, I want a lifetime of holy moments. Every day, I want to be in dangerous proximity to Jesus. I long for a life that explodes with meaning and is filled with adventure, wonder, risk, and danger. I long for a life that is gloriously treacherous. I want to be with Jesus, not knowing whether to cry or laugh. When you see the book of Acts, you sort of see this in the disciples' mind. I've got to share this thing. I have seen the work of the risen Christ. I have to share it. I want a life that shares that. And so that's what I would say to you, to the book of Acts. Thanks for tuning into this episode of Cal St. G Academy. All of these podcasts are recorded at live events and lectures hosted by the Parish of Calvary St. George's in the city of New York. Want to hear more? Stop by the church sometime and attend one of these events live. Or swing by one of our many services where we seek to rightly divide the word of truth week by week with sermons that always point to where we end and God begins. Find out more about all of our events and offerings by visiting calvarystgeorges.org. 
And if these free podcasts have meant something to you, and you feel led to support our ministry, head on over to calvarystgeorges.org slash giving and make a donation today. Thanks again, and we hope to see you soon.